Hi, this is Bill Schulz, a senior fellow at the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. And I'm with my colleague Sushma Raman, who is executive director of the Carr Center. We're the co-authors of the new book from Harvard University Press entitled The Coming Good Society, Why New Realities Demand New Rights. Sushma, tell me what you see as the priorities for the new president-elect Joseph Biden. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, and welcome to our audience today. I believe that there are many priorities facing President-elect Biden, an extraordinary array of global challenges, from the pandemic to deepening economic inequality, to frayed relations with world leaders and global institutions, and of course, rising authoritarianism and attacks on minorities around the world. But to be truly effective on all these fronts, President Biden must focus on addressing some key domestic challenges because the ability of the U.S. to lead in the world will rest in part on its capacity to get its own house in order. In my recent article in Foreign Policy magazine, I outlined three challenges. The first is immigration, where President Biden must not only overturn some of the cruel rhetoric and policies of the past administration, but also create new just frameworks around immigration and refugee policy. Second, around race and reparations, where the U.S. must address the history and legacy of slavery and um, discrimination after slavery ended. And finally, the role of technology and society, where we must address issues of media manipulation and disinformation, but also broader issues of the tax gap, where large technology companies have not paid their taxes in many years, adequate taxes that could then finance the infrastructure for the United States. So several pressing priorities, but these are some of the key issues um, that I outline. I do think though that our book nicely complements um, some of these short-term issues. And maybe Bill, you can get us started by talking about some of the key issues we outline in our joint uh, book. So it strikes me, for example, with regard to refugees and immigration, uh, the Refugee Convention, of course, is a very important uh, international document of protection, but it fails to recognize, because it hasn't been updated for a new age, it fails to recognize climate refugees. And we're going to be seeing more and more people who are going to be seeking asylum, not because they are under fear of persecution necessarily, but because their homes have been destroyed by climate change. Uh, you speak about Black Lives Matter and, and the protest movement. And certainly we know that uh, the invasion of privacy, the use, for example, of facial recognition software that uh, often is inaccurate, particularly for persons of color, that that is an example of the kind of threats that need to be met with new rights. And the point of our book, of course, is that you can't rest on your laurels if you're a human rights activist. It's critically important to, uh, to enforce, of course, the current rights that are under threat. But if the human rights movement doesn't think about the future and doesn't talk about rights that need to be created, like the right to record your interactions with law enforcement authorities, for example, if the human rights movement doesn't keep up to date, uh, then I think uh, it will ultimately be seen as far less powerful or relevant than it ought to be. You've made the point often, Sushman, I think it'd be worth your saying more about it, that the poorest people are the ones whose rights are most readily violated and that 
a failure to keep rights up to date is often doing an enormous disservice to people who don't have either political or economic power, such as in the right to corruption. Why don't you say a word about that? Sure. Um, as our audience would know, 750 million people around the world live on less than $2 a day, what the international community considers as living in extreme poverty. And there is a connection between corruption and poverty. So, of course, people who are poor are more affected by petty corruption, the kind of corruption one encounters when dealing with police officers or uh, public officials who try and extract, extract small bribes from you. But they are also affected by grand corruption, where the design of institutions, systems, laws, and policies are set up in a way to benefit the rich, powerful, and elite. And this happens over and over again in countries around the world, both in emerging economies as well as in the West. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges of our times. Now, corruption has been often viewed as a financial issue or, or an economic matter. It's often been viewed in legal terms, but it's only recently that it's been looked at within a human rights framework. And that's really, really important because then it centers the rights and dignity of those people who are most affected by being excluded. The reality also is that the ability of the poor to exercise a range of other rights is affected by their lack of power and voice that is um, made that happens because of corruption. 